think part of the reason why you feel so exuberant is because God is doing a work in your life and you're just really excited. And um, I thank God for that. I think that's the reason. But just out of curiosity, did any of you have a hard time waking up this morning? All right, so I'm not alone. <laughs> but um, basically, I just want to share a couple of things on my heart. I know we don't have a whole lot of time, and I'm the one that's in between you and breakfast. <laughs> but um, I want to share a couple of things on my heart real briefly. Number one, um, as I look out and as I've met a lot of you here, um, you've been walking with the Lord for a while. A lot of you have been married for a long time. And I just want to share with you guys um, whom I've talked to and those of you who I know who've been married for a while that uh, as a young couple, uh, I've been married for two years, that you've been an encouragement to me and a blessing, your testimony. And I don't want you to um, to think it's in vain because us young couples, we need those uh, those inspirations, you know. Uh, we don't have that in the world. And some of us have come from families, you know, where mom and dad didn't make it. And as I've talked to you guys, um, you shared with me that Christ was what kept you going. And some of you, you know, you were in the world for about 10 years or so. And um, then Jesus Christ came into your life. And then you just shared with me how the Lord strengthened you. And he made the difference. And I just want to thank you for that and continue to be that. And also, you young couples, find somebody who really loves God. And who's been married for a long time and glean, just glean off them. Because you can just look in their eyes and you see the maturity. And even as I look out now, I see many older couples. And you're here at a marriage retreat. It's not like, well, I have it all figured out. I've been married for a few decades or more. It's like you know that you're continuing to strive and uh, just you know that God has more for you. So I think that's neat. And the second thing I want to share is found in Luke chapter 6. So why don't we open up there? This weekend I was reading a book uh, by an author named Max Lucado. And um, in the very first chapter, what he does is he takes you into a journey, into a gallery. And in this gallery, he, he has these incredible paintings of individuals in the Bible. And as Max Lucado just kind of takes you through this gallery, he shows you painting one by one. And as you journey through the gallery, the first painting you see is a as a man with a with a hand that's like cut off and deformed and he's got spots and stuff and what it is is a picture of a man with leprosy and you see the man and he's in agony and as you continue walking you see the very next picture is that same man and his hand is whole and he's complete he's cured and as you continue on that gallery he shows you a woman who's weak skinny frail uh, she's obviously the woman with uh, an infirmity for many, many years. And you see this gal- uh, picture and you look at her and you have compassion on her. But as you continue walking, the very next picture is that same woman and she's healthy and she's vigorous and she's full of life and vitality. And it's just incredible. As you continue on the gallery, you just see all these pictures of people before and people after. And then at the end of the gallery, it's neat because he kind of takes you to the last two pictures or the last two frames. And he says, on this picture right here is a picture of you. And you see yourself, and I'm looking at myself, you know. 
And then the very next canvas is blank. And it has your name on the bottom. And what that pictures is God and his power to change us. And um, it's blank. You're the picture and God is the artist. And he's doing a work in your life. But the bottom line is in the world today and even in the church, change doesn't happen that often. It really doesn't. It seems like we stay the same for years. It's not so much that it's hard to change. I believe it's easy to change. But I believe the thing is, is that we just don't. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. God has given us everything we need. But we just don't seem to change. And I think that the formula for change is very simple. Um, And it's found here in Luke chapter 6. Beginning in verse 47, he says, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and he laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. The context here is uh, Jesus is concluding his Sermon on the Mount. You can cross-reference it to Matthew chapter 7. And if you look at some of the things he talks about here, he's, he's giving, he's speaking to his disciples. He's talking about the Beatitudes. He's saying to love your enemies. He's saying don't be judgmental. He's saying bear fruit. And he says, if you hear these things and you do them, you're like a man who will stand. A man or a woman who will stand in Christ. C.S. Lewis had a quote. He said, there are two types of people in this world. There are those who say, God, thy will be done. Whatever you say, Lord, whatever you want, your will is the final authority in my life. And there are those on the other side to whom God says, okay, have it your way. The people on this side, they live on God's promises. They live in victory. They live in the promised land. They stand. And the people on this side They live in defeat. They don't go into the promised land. They spend their whole life in the wilderness. And it's up to you. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's up to us. Um, We have the truth concerning a wise man and a foolish man. And it's real simple. In verse 47, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. And as you look at these two individuals, Verse 47 through 48 is the wise man. And verse 49 is the foolish man. And as you look at these two things, you see the results that one stands and one doesn't. But what I wanted to do is look at, first of all, the things that they have in common. The first thing that they have in common is they're both hearers of the word of God. Both. The second thing they have in common is they're both builders. And the third thing they have in common is they both have storms or trials. A stream that beats vehemently against their house. And let's look at the things that they have that are different. The first thing is one's obedient and one's not. The second thing is one has a foundation and one doesn't. And the third thing is one stands and one is not standing. And basically, I don't think Jesus is really teaching about building a house. He is in a way, but really what he's teaching about is being obedient. And what he does is he kind of opens the veil 
to the unseen world. And he says, if you hear what I say and you do what I say, this is what it's like. It's like a man who, um, who dug, who is building a house and who dug deep and he laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. In verse 47, he says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings, this is the key. And um, I'd like to share with you that, you know, something we don't think about too often, but as we read the Word of God and as we hear what He says to us, it's not the sayings of a great philosopher like Kant or Socrates. It's not the sayings of a godly man. It's the sayings of God. These are His sayings. These are the sayings of the one who spoke the universe into existence by the power of His Word. These are the sayings of the one who died for you on the cross. He spilt his blood. They're not just anybody's sayings. They're God's sayings. And what I want to focus on today is the word hearing. That's what I think it is. Because more than likely, I believe in my heart that everyone here, or most of you, you want to do what God says. But I believe a lot of us just have problems I mean, the things that we argue about, the things that upset us. I mean, I could be looking for something in my wife's purse. And I was like, oh, I can't find it. It's in here somewhere. And you got all these keys. And it's like, and you get upset over something like that. You know, and it's just so ridiculous. And God says, be long-suffering. Be long-suffering. You know, when you walk in the house and boom, there's an atomic bomb. God says, have love. Share with them love. And then that will make a difference. That's doing what God says. So what I want to focus on is hearing the word of God and how you can hear the word of God and how it can really make a difference in your life. The first thing I, I see in hearing or in this truth concerning hearing is that hearing in and of itself is insufficient. You can come to as many retreats as you like. You can go to as many Bible studies as you want. Some of you here go three times a week. You hear the radio as you're driving. You read the word. But Jesus says that hearing only is insufficient. Watch, turn to James for a second. James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So here James simply confirms the fact that hearing in and of itself is insufficient. A lot of times we hear a message and we're all like, wow, that was awesome. And we get stirred up and we get excited. We walk away and we don't even know what he talked about. We just know we were inspired, you know. It's kind of like in the end of Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus had finished his Sermon on the Mount. The Bible says that the people were astonished at his teaching. The people were just amazed. Wow, what a message. But how many of those people lived what he said? How many of those people were the ones who said, crucify him, crucify him? See, hearing in and of itself is insufficient. Being excited about a message 
is insufficient. I think the key is right here in James where he says in verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. That's the key, not to be a forgetful hearer. And I want to share with you a couple of things on how we cannot be a forgetful hearer. I mean, you consider the studies today or this weekend, Dale and uh, Joe and Pastor Jack and Rick, do you, do you feel excited about them? But can you recall what they talked about? Do you remember what Dale talked about? How he said having a walk worthy of the calling and the oneness and just all these messages. Some of you here are nodding your head. Yes, praise God. But some of you here were excited and you don't remember. And the Bible says, hey, don't be a forgetful hearer. The first thing we need to do in order to not be a forgetful hearer is to do everything necessary to remember God's word. Watch, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm sorry to make you flip around so much, but we really need to kind of look at these. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God is giving the commandment to his people, and it's just real so practical, so practical. In verse 6, he says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then over in verse 17, he says, You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes which he commanded you. And you shall do what is right in the good... In the, and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And then if you turn over chapter 11, verse 18 through 28. It says, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. And you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land, which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. For if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then you will drive out all those nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourself. And we'll stop there. But I think you get the picture. It's like God is saying, hey, saturate yourself in the word of God. Put signs up in your house. Talk about them as you're walking around, as you're sitting down. Just constantly talk about the word of God. That way you won't forget. In Joshua 1.8, God says to Joshua, he says, hey, this word of the Lord shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will find your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I mean, think about the things that you've heard today, and I would encourage you, you know, if the Lord spoke to you in any message, order that tape. If the Lord is speaking to you as someone is sharing, take notes. You know, review what God has shown you. Learn them. The second thing, and you don't have to turn there, but you're all familiar with that verse. It's the same aspect. 
And it's a challenge. It's to be diligent in studying the Word of God. The Bible says to be diligent to know the Word of God. To show yourself approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the Word of Truth. It takes sweat. It takes work. You can't be lazy. We can quench the Holy Spirit with our laziness if we don't really work at knowing the Word of God. To bind it in our heart. To really learn it. Not to be forgetful hearers. And the reason why I say this is, I don't know, it's just God's been doing a work in my life. He's been changing my life. You know, a lot of times we'll be in a situation with our spouse. And God will give us the word and we won't obey. And God says, hey, all I want you to do is what I say. That's it. No questions asked. So we see that in order to be a a hearer, uh, an effective hearer, I really believe in my heart that we need to be a hearer who remembers God's word, who knows God's word and does God's word. And so in conclusion, why don't we turn back to Luke chapter 6. I can hear some stomachs growling already. I see here in Luke chapter 6, um, in verse 47 through 48, is it just a tremendous promise by God. But in verse 49, I see something also just as important. And it's, it's kind of sad the way God has to motivate us sometimes through warning. But this is what he does here in verse 49. He says, to be a doer of the word of God is a matter of survival. It's a matter of survival. You can't just say, okay, I hear the word of God. Yeah, I hear your message. But I'm not really going to apply it to my life. Because if you don't, Jesus said, then when the stream beats against your house, then you're going to fall. That's a promise. That's a warning. That's what he says. It's a matter of survival. And it is an effective motive. Sometimes when I'm driving down the street, I see all these joggers. I see all these walkers. I see people at work sometimes who are eating good food, you know, vegetables and fruit. And sometimes I'm thinking about them and I'm wondering, wow, you know what the truth is? A lot of times these people have had a heart attack or they've come close to dying and they've gone to their doctors and the doctor says, hey, if you don't exercise, you're going to die. The doctor says, if you don't stop drinking or if you don't stop eating salty foods, you're going to die. It's a tremendous motive. And this is the motive Jesus gave us here. He says, if you don't do what I say, you're going to fall. So sad. We don't want to fall. It's a warning. It's very simple. The things that Christ tells us, the things that God tells us in his word. He says, don't look upon another woman in lust. Just don't do it. He says, to treat your spouse with respect and to love her or him. Even behind closed doors, because God sees it's easy to kiss her and hold hands. Hey, honey, we're at a retreat. we got to hold hands. It's easy to put your arm around her at a marriage retreat or in front of other people. You have a big smile. But what do you like when the doors are closed? That's what counts. That's a man and woman of integrity. See, um, we can't play games with God. We just can't. As It's so neat because I've been able to just mingle. And There's a lot of different types of people here. I know for a fact that some of you here are playing games with God. And I just want to warn you, don't do it. It's not worth it. God says, if you play games with me, if you don't do what I say, and you're accountable for what you've heard, then you will fall. 
So in conclusion, I mean, I've been so blessed by the studies. And in a way, I have received like new revelation. God has taught me so much in these last few months, especially in these last couple of days. But I believe in my heart that it's not simply or just solely a new revelation that we need for God. I believe it's it's a deeper and more sincere commitment. That when the time comes and when the challenge comes for you to be long-suffering or to love or to be patient, just do it because God says so. And if I was to give my title... If I was to give my message a, a title, I think Jeanette would appreciate this. I would say, uh, this is the secret to successful voyage. This is a, the secret to a successful voyage. A lot of us are trying to figure out the intricacies of God. We're trying to figure out, oh, I need to surrender. I need the Holy Spirit. How does the things work? What are the things of God? And God says, well, that's my responsibility. Your responsibility is to do it. And if you fail... You keep doing it, and you keep doing it. And if you continue to fail, then maybe God will bring you to an end of yourself. And then when that's done, you do it again. You keep trying, you keep trying. It's like a car. A lot of us are trying to figure out how the carburetor works. I have no idea. How do the pistons and all these things make the axle turn? I don't know. But God just says, open the door, turn the key, and step on the gas. That's your responsibility. You're to do it. So... In conclusion, in talking about change, I believe God will change us if we do what he says. And I want you to remember that that artist, that picture, and God is painting your picture right now. Your life is like a pen. And the question is, what kind of story is being written? What kind of picture is being painted? That's the question. Let's love our spouses. Let's do it because God says so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just come before you and I thank you for these beautiful people, Lord God. I pray, Lord, there would be no condemnation. I pray, Lord, that we would have conviction, that we would have a deeper commitment, and that it would be shared in love, Lord God, not to condemn anybody, but just because you want what's best for our lives. You want us to fulfill the call that you've placed upon us as a husband, as a wife, as a family. I pray for the the next two messages and this communion that you would just continue to speak to us, Lord. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.